This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very excited today to be interviewing the two authors of the lovely book out from Bloomsbury at the end of 2022 titled Black Oat Here, Black Lives in Scotland. Um, And we have with us both of the authors, Francesca Sabande and Leila Roxanne Hill, to talk about this book that explores both the history and the contemporary lives and realities of Black people in Scotland, um, reflecting on the past to make sense of the present. Um, And I personally found that this made rather a lot of sense. Um, And so I'm very pleased to welcome the both of you to the podcast today to tell us about your book. Hi, thanks again for inviting us to do this. Hello. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Before we dive into the book, um, could I ask each of you to introduce yourselves a bit and explain why you decided to write this book and write it together? Sure, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Francesca Zabandi. I'm a writer and senior lecturer in digital media studies at Cardiff University. And there's probably a lot of time we could spend just speaking about like why this book and why we've written it in the way that we have but I guess one of the main things that that is at the centre of it all is um well love of black lives in Scotland and also an awareness that when black history in Scotland is spoken about rarely is there a focus on recent decades and recent years so we wanted to try and contribute to ongoing um, work and conversations about all of that whilst knowing that there has been a lot of writing and a lot of just being and creativity that's come before our book. Hi, I'm Leo Roxanne Hill, and I am a writer and curator and org- community organizer and trade unionist. Um, and yeah, I think just what's already been said um, that there's at the moment quite quite new work coming up um, or newer work um, that focuses on you know older histories um, of Black people in Scotland, particularly those that focus on the transatlantic slave trade. So we. We were quite keen to have something that was a little bit more contemporary and included the experience and built upon work that has been made, um, even if some of that might not be considered work um, in an academic sense, um, in, in more recent decades. So I'm glad that you've both mentioned kind of um, where this fits in, but very much what it adds to the conversation in terms of kind of who's being focused on what sorts of things and the time as well. So I'm wondering if you could um, maybe tell us a bit more about that, right? Who and what is being focused on and how did you kind of, given that the scope is expanded, how did you decide sort of how and to what extent that can be opened? 
So I think essentially, although we have our own experiences of being black in Scotland, and that's definitely shaped, you know, aspects of the books. So there are some personal reflections in there. There are some um, personal photographs as well. The book's really about the experiences of many different people. So that includes people we spoke to as part of interviews, um, people who kindly shared like their personal archives and just you know spoke to us about the experiences of family members and friends throughout the years there was a survey element as well and we spent quite a lot of time looking at press clippings different archives that were available to us especially online because the bulk of this work was during the COVID-19 pandemic so I, I think the question around you know whose experiences is the book about is a tricky one in some ways because we're really making clear there's no one black Scottish experience and there's no one experience of being black in Scotland Um, but the different perspectives and experiences that are spoken about in the book or reflected on um, include those of people between the ages of like 18 to like 70 plus if we're thinking about the survey or the experiences of children as well so parents speaking about you know what it's like for their child to be black in Scotland right now or adults um, reflecting on their childhood um, you know in days gone by and and yeah, it's, it's, there is no one black Scottish experience. There is no one way um, of you know living as a black person in Scotland. But I guess our hope is that our book highlights just some of the many differences and similarities between the experiences of, of various people while also recognising that um, no book could ever capture all of what it can mean um, to live that life. Yeah, I think in terms of how it was decided, um, I guess it was the response, you know, we put out the survey, we had a, we had an outline of what we'd hoped that the book would have been, um, but this had been decided long before um, the pandemic. Um, so, and, and, and obviously there was um, the, the sort of worldwide recognition of Black Lives Matter. So a lot of the, the book ended up being... Um, sort of decided by events that you know overtook us and um, also the ways in which people responded to the survey and the ways in which people spoke to us whilst whilst they were being interviewed um so it's kind of worked in a way that you know there's not one thing that's influenced or decided how how the book takes shape um it is and we're very fortunate it is the people who have contributed um you know their their experiences and and their knowledge um with us that's helped that's helped shape that hmm. i'd love to um tell the listeners a little bit more about kind of the survey for that you both spoke about creating for um this book because it is um i think perhaps a little bit unusual to see a survey that does get so much sort of personal um feedback and responses that really add to kind of all the other things that come into the book so could you maybe tell us a little bit about how you approach creating this survey and how you thought about sort of analyzing the results so we've got a section in the book which is us thinking about how we wanted this work to really focus on people and not percentages and i guess that hopefully gets across the the way that we try to approach the survey so we really wanted to try and um, provide as much of an opportunity for people who wanted to or felt able to to share about their own experiences in their own words and we were aware of you know for various reasons including the impact of the pandemic and um, that 
you know, not everybody would want to have, let's say, an interview over a call. Um, not everybody might have the time for that either. So the survey was a chance for people to respond to various questions about their lives as black people in Scotland, either right now or if they'd previously lived in Scotland or if they had an ancestral connection to Scotland. And it's very much qualitative in terms of we're not focusing on statistics, we're not focusing on numbers. And that's partly because we're aware of the fact that oftentimes, especially when we're dealing with academia, um, black people are treated as nothing other than um, you know, so-called data. Um, and there can be this real emphasis on numbers in a way that is essentially you could say, um, you know, reflective of the anti-blackness that we acknowledge throughout this book. So the survey, it's maybe not necessarily what some people would expect um, of a survey, including in terms of like the number of responses or the way that we focused on the quite detailed um, reflections that people have shared. But to us, it was never about there being this sort of supposed value in a quantity of responses. And we wanted to try and recognise the value in anything that anybody was happy to share with us. And that also meant doing the work in a way that wasn't just about black people who might be viewed as public figures or institutionally affiliated. So some people who we interviewed decided they wanted to be anonymous. Some people we interviewed um, went by their their names. And and some people that we spoke to um, might be publicly known in various ways, others aren't. And that felt a really important way to do this work, um, particularly to ensure that it's not simply just reproducing what came before or feeding into the respectability politics that can result in just a select few black people becoming the face of um, or the so-called authorities of black Scottish history and black lives in Scotland. Yeah, and I think just to just to add to that, that there has been, you know, there's it feels that there's always been like an onus on well it's such a small percentage or you know the population of African Caribbean people in Scotland are so small that it's almost insignificant in a way so we wanted to show that you know despite that data which again not everybody can participate you know if you think about the the census um for example you know not everyone can participate it can put people at danger at risk so we wanted it to be an opportunity for people to, to say just how they feel um, without worrying about being a research topic, you know, or a research subject um, and just being able to speak freely about their experience and knowing that, or hopefully knowing that it was going to be put into a book in a way that wasn't going to put them at harm or be exploitative in any sort of way, um, but still speak quite, you know, strongly to, to the reality and to the experience that they've had here in Scotland. Thank you for um, talking us through sort of the many things that you considered, um, because I think, Francesca, as you said, the survey may not be um, what people are expecting, but I think a lot of these factors that the both of you considered in putting it together are things that should be more expected and making sure that um, subjects, you know, feel safe and don't necessarily feel like subjects and feel able to participate across a range of experiences. So um, I think that's really helpful to understand kind of both what's in the book and how you got there. Um, and sort of similarly on a, I guess, kind of a methods question, um, Francesca, I believe it was earlier, you mentioned that the book has photography. Um, and I thought this was really interesting, especially in the context of Scotland, where so often the images that people think of are quite 
old, right? And they tend to be like castles and churches and things like that. Um, and so I was wondering if you both could help us understand kind of how did you approach using photography? What did you want? What kinds of photographs? What was the sort of goal of including that not as sort of an insert just in the middle of the book that you flick through in the midst of um, text, but much more integrated? Yeah, so the in so in some ways some of the questions around like what was the approach or what was the goal um they sometimes feel like quite odd to respond to because I, I i do think a lot of the way we've um created this book together has been you know shaped by forces <laughs> with our control so i think we always knew that we wanted there to be like a visual element and um you know we're we're, we're both people who love exploring photography in different ways. And we were also aware that there were people doing brilliant photographic work to do with Black Lives in Scotland. Um, and for those reasons, I guess, it there kind of feels like there's maybe some sense of like serendipity um, and, and some sense of like responding to what was going on in our lives and the lives of other people at the time. Um, so some of the photographs are images of our own. We're aware that some of them might seem quite abstract or random them to people they might mean different things to us in comparison to how they're interpreted there is also the really brilliant and beautiful photography of Najma Abakar as well and there's some images um, from from elsewhere so places like um, Getty images so images for example of some of the different Black Lives Matter um, activist protests that were going on during that time but I think maybe to come back to the question if I'm remembering it right around like what was the goal or what was the approach you know, Black Lives in Scotland aren't just about words. And we're also aware that people engage with books or work or ideas in lots of different ways, which includes drawing on photography. And we wanted the majority of these images not to be about just depicting Black people, but to hopefully convey a sense of, um, you know, what it might mean to move through Scotland as a Black person, the everydayness of Black lives, the mundanity um, of, you know, being out and about and just experiencing a different space. So what the images might mean to people you know we're not entirely sure but I guess it's to try and just communicate yet another element of black Scottish history um, and black Scottish lives without feeding into the objectification of black people or treating them again as you know individuals to just be captured photographed and consumed. Yeah um, I think quite similarly to the survey um, it was to show I guess the fullness and the wholeness of what black lives can be without having to have your photo you know put in for a particular reason um some of the conversations that we've had you know around the book um like public events you know and people have said that they've found their photograph you know just on on the front of a book or on the front of a funding brochure for something and you know they've had no connection to that whatsoever and they've not had you know permission asked so it's like we wanted to make sure and that it wasn't just, you know, there are definitely black people here, here, here their faces, um, or here, here them, you know, being being in Scotland. Um, it was just about partly our experience of, you know, being being black in Scotland. And we said, you know, there's some of our own personal photographs in there, including some that show our family. Um, but again, not their faces. We asked Najma um, just to provide us some photos. Um, some of those were prior to the pandemic, um, 
and then some of those were during the pandemic. So again, you know, that was Najma's experience of being, you know, a black woman in Scotland, um, coming through in her, within her photography. And even though some of these were taken at the same time as the images that we had from Getty, it feels that they're quite different. Um, you know, Najma's a professional photographer. Some of the images from Getty were professional. Um, some of those were taking images that could be considered quite similar, um, but you can sense the difference because, yeah, you know, Najma's a black woman um, moving through the pandemic and moving to Scotland. Um, but then with the Getty images, you know, it's like we're focusing on this BLM um, slogan, you know, we're focusing on this. So, yeah, I guess we just wanted to show the, the wholeness, the fullness without the explicitness, I guess. And this is obviously something that um, is a tricky balance to strike in a lot of ways, especially thinking about this idea of sort of how much of it is history, how much of it is the present, how do those things sort of relate to each other? Um, And I mentioned the phrase uh, that I think is on the blurb of the book, right? The idea of reflecting on the past to make sense of the present. Um, Maybe you two could help us how can we think about sort of that idea of how are we telling history or centering the present and kind of putting those things in conversation with each other without either losing the history or kind of emphasizing it too much and forgetting the present so i think that maybe one of the many i don't even want to say themes because i think (laughs) all these sorts of terms can be sort of you know like categorizing and complex compartmentalizing which maybe relates to what I'm thinking about in response to this question but something we've been thinking about a lot as part of this work and speaking about as well and writing about is the fact that you know history is the here and now it's it's right now and so I think even that sort of question around like the present and history there's sometimes this this false binary notion of of past and present or or even you know um future in a way that sort of betrays the messiness of how time works and how lives are experienced and how history is always happening so I think it's it's not that we've we've necessarily been grappling with you know how do we hold on to the present whilst also thinking about black Scottish history we've been viewing black Scottish history as the here and now and that means of course acknowledging what came before but also seeing all this is very much you know an ongoing collective um history that just cannot be contained you know by a single book or or even by like terms such as past and present yeah and i think it's, it is sort of reflected in the books i think somebody said to me it's like well, it's very very current you know because we mentioned we made mention of an event that happened i think earlier and or later into 2021 and that was the thing you know it's it's things that are happening now that we may not sense or feel as historic I guess um because there's this idea that if something is historic that it has to be like a, a big event you know but even if we're thinking about for example the the pandemic you know that is something that you know we're, we're still moving through but there's maybe an expectation that you know where's the the bigness of it you know, where's where's the bigness of this historic moment? Um, whereas it is perhaps in the more smaller ways that we see and we experience things. You know, it <laughs> I guess like for me, it's even just, you know, making eye contact with somebody um and smiling at them in recognition of, you know, your your experience, you know, um or sharing being just being with somebody. Um at an event or in somebody's house you know it's all these things that maybe aren't 
considered or told to be historic, um, which are the things, you know, that, that make up our history. Um, and it is happening now. It has happened before. And it can help shape the future for sure. Um, so yeah, I think it's just it's the it's the messiness and the interconnectedness of it all, and that maybe we are too keen to say this is something that's historic, you know, this is something that's contemporary, this is something that's in the past. Something which we hope that comes through from the book is that you know some of the the things that people speak to happening in the seventies and eighties very much comes through like in the. 20s and the 10s you know so everything everything's interrelated everything's interconnected and most of our experiences are too so that i think came up as you said in a lot of ways in the book um but one of them in particular i'd like to discuss is um obviously the idea of education and that so much um of these experiences um is not taught and even the simple, um, I don't remember which of you mentioned it earlier, but even the simple kind of statement of like, no, there are black people in Scotland um, is to some people um, kind of surprising, uh, despite the many experiences um, now and over time. So I was wondering if you could maybe speak a bit about the insights and reflections um, that came on this topic of kind of making sure that black history in Scotland is properly taught um, and maybe talk a little bit about kind of how it was all interrelated. This wasn't the, the, at least my reading of it was not that this was a survey response of, oh yeah, that would be a good policy idea. It very much is interlinked with um people's everyday experiences now and this being something that links up and joins up with many other aspects of life not just kind of maybe what sounds like a dry curriculum question yeah thinking about that question I suppose something that comes to mind is I think you mentioned sort of sometimes people will expect there to be like this policy recommendation um, and this maybe goes back to some of what we've spoken about earlier on but it feels as though often, whether it's in Scotland, you know, elsewhere in the UK, elsewhere in the world, um, oftentimes when, you know, we're dealing with different examples of writing or, or um, research or, you know, work that might be viewed as academic in various ways or scholarly, it feels as though that there's this focus on something translating into policy recommendations or there's these terms and concepts like impact that are really um, often more harmful than they are helpful in any way. So I think you know, as your question is sort of getting at um, something that came through from the survey responses and also, you know, the interviews of people who so generously made time to speak with us was that this is a lot more than an, a call for black Scottish history to be added to a curriculum. This is also thinking about how, you know, education in general functions. And um, so, you know, for example, one person we spoke to shared so much about the black education that had and black consciousness raising specifically that had been facilitated by family members so thinking about you know a sister sharing and um, books and resources with them and other individuals who would speak about the fact that there would be a space where they would come together with friends with other black folks in their area and essentially just you know focus on knowledge black knowledge that they knew would never be a part of the formal educational institutions and um, that are so often sort of held up as the pinnacle of of learning in society so of course there were some people saying that 
the curriculum needs to include Black Scottish history across all different levels of education. But there were also people making clear that this isn't simply about you know, reform or asking to be included in existing institutional context. This is also thinking about how Black knowledge and Black learning can function in ways that aren't dependent on these institutions or dependent on sort of precarious forms of, of funding that so often are sort of dangled um, as, as part of equality, diversity and inclusion, EDI efforts, um, and, and really do anything sort of meaningfully support Black people and support the, the sort of Black Scottish history that we're discussing. So, yeah, I, I feel as though just one other thing on that is that when Black Scottish history comes up as part of public or political discussions, there's often this focus on um, previous centuries. And it's just to sort of reiterate the point that we keep speaking about to do with Black Scottish history, being the here and now, um, being being the everyday, being the mundane, um, and being about so much more than whatever is supposedly recorded or written down. It's, It's felt, it's experienced, it's not always taking the form of something tangible and observable. And it's not always actually happening in ways that black people necessarily want to be made available within certain institutional contexts yeah i think just to add to that that even you know and this is similar across you know different topics that you know we can i don't know how many conversations had with people it's like well i wasn't taught that you know particular aspect of history so even if you know things were added to the curriculum i think a few of the political parties made promises in their in the last scottish elections um to include black history um as part of the curriculum at least as an online module um you know so even with that you know it's not the wholeness you know that it wouldn't be the wholeness that maybe people rightfully deserve and you know that's not just exclusive to to black people um, in Scotland, like that's for everyone. You know, it's like we all deserve to have a more fuller and more whole understanding of of each other. And I think there would be a tendency, you know, for it to be focused like either on a particular person. You know, it's like just looking at through some of the, or sorry, looking through and doing our research of some of the informal, um, formalized education attempts to discuss black history it tends to be oh there's there's one person who's doing this thing you know and let's hold them up you know and it isn't it isn't about that and that doesn't help us grow together you know if it is just the the one person that's um or one person's experience not to say that it shouldn't be included um of course it should be but as part of you know a a multivocal um like knowledge sharing and I think just to echo like what Francesca said a lot of education you know takes part in less formalized settings you know as the sharing of information um it's the the creation of space for people to learn talk and that might be done in ways that aren't considered academic enough or as part of you know western educations enough you know and I think it's it'd be unfair to do that. You know, it's like when we think of conversations that happen in, you know, pubs and restaurants, you know, in in cafes, on the street, you know, in the workplace. And, you know, this is how people, (laughs) and recently as well on the picket line, you know, this this is how people learn from each other. And, 
yeah, I think it's, if we've been asked, you know, it's like, what are the policy recommendations? But I guess like that isn't what the, the book is about. Hopefully people, you know, who, who create these types of things or are responsible for it will read the book and maybe, you know, take aspects um, of that to create policy. But again, like hopefully in ways that are, are more considered and more full of care than than previously. So this idea of kind of um, growing together and taking into account things that might not traditionally be seen as academic enough. Um, I wanted to ask about how the book sort of thinks about archives and uses archives and thinks about what is an archive and how to um, put one into something like a book. So I was wondering um, kind of what would you sort of say on that, particularly as I think there's probably a lot of scope for other people to um, have a more open-minded approach to archives the way that you both do? I guess, um, thinking just off the top of my head, you know, it's like we put in some of our own personal photographs, some from our families, um, and I think our attention had also been to, you know, go to markets um, and see like what photos like were written about in there and just, you know, see what we could come across. Um, letters, postcards, you know, anything that might give hint to, you know, a black person or black people living in Scotland. Um, unfortunately, yeah, again, because of the pandemic, like we weren't able to do that. So we were drawn like on our own. But I think, you know, with the ways in which things are have changed significantly, you know, speaking to, I guess, some some younger people, um, by that I'm saying people under under 20, you know, who are saying that they're now finding a lot of their information like on YouTube or Instagram, um, you know, online in different ways. You know, it's like we know that there's like many like groups that are set up. So instead of actual physical spaces, you know, where things are documented um, in perhaps more formalised like ways, you know, there's that's an archive there, like in in a chat group. You know, there's an archive. You know, in somebody's Instagram, um, there's an archive and things. You know, that again, like it's not formalised or considered um, considered worthy to go into an archive. But these are all things that can contribute to our understanding um, of, you know, being in the same place. You know, and be that Scotland. Um, with each other you know um so yeah i think it's just we we did try to access some archives online and that was that was quite difficult as well um so again who has access and then even if you do access it like what is contained within that like what is considered important enough to go into an archive you know and it's like i think of some of the things that like I collect and you know going through like some family members things recently you know why do people choose to collect things you know why is there a receipt that might not be considered of any particular note but then if that place is closed down or is no longer there you know it, it, it does speak to something and it does speak to like a history um so yeah I think it's like we in much the same way that we're talking about you know rethinking history and how how that is or how it's seen to be I guess we have to think about that in terms of archives and and who is it for um at the moment it feels that you know the archive is still for people who who have the knowledge to be able to access it and it shouldn't be about that it should be something that's you know a lot more open um yeah yeah I completely agree I think that whole thing of 
you know, various um, formal archives or institutions thinking about what they feel is like worthy of inclusion is always so so harmful and such a reminder also of the fact that there's like this this emphasis on value and um, or like so-called like added value in a way that's really it really contrasts with I think how many people will go about like keeping things that are meaningful to them or keeping things that remind them for example of different family members or or different friends or or people um, who have been a part of their life at various points in time and I guess what I mean by that is some of the people we spoke to as part of the book would share such not just you know detailed reflections about their lives but would also share examples of you know say writing or self-publishing or creative work that they were doing at you know different points and over the 80s the 90s and so on and I think that in various spaces people would reflect on those sorts of conversations or those sorts of ways of sharing and would say you know well first of all they probably say who was it that did that um, and then I think institutions would think about you know is this person deemed like worthy of their their life or their experience or um, you know their their knowledge being archived um, and then beyond that there's these pretty hideous questions around you know who they feel um should or shouldn't get access to that archive material and all that really is to say that I think archiving and I I would want to recognize that I I I don't know a lot about archiving relative to many other people and I know that there are people who speak about the fact that it's a term that's sometimes sort of thrown around and become meaningless but I feel that through our work we're we're thinking through how archiving um, can mean different things and be approached in different ways and also just really acknowledging that a lot of what is happening on a personal level for people um, can can take the form of an archive but that doesn't mean that any individual or any institution is entitled to to know about that personal archive and you know figuring out how you do or don't want to share and what you might have archived is uh, a process that can be can be tricky and um, can also involve a sense of vulnerability that again I just want to recognize you know the people who spoke to us and shared with us um, and embraced and that is something that I think can be very difficult for people um, to sort of sit with. Thank you for raising those points. I think they're very, um, hopefully will help people kind of think through an archive rather than just sort of going, oh yeah, I know what that is. I don't, you know, I've thought through all the pieces. Um, I think probably a lot of people haven't. Um, And so that's really useful reflection. Um, And I sort of want to kind of bring that into thinking about the people that um, were willing to speak to you both, were um, willing to share and make available um, their work, particularly in the sort of uh, community organizing and um, grassroots activism sort of space. Um, Can you maybe talk a bit about sort of how you approached and worked with these people in documenting and in some senses archiving their work in the book? Yeah, I think... No, forgive me if I'm incorrect with this. Um, my mind's very confused about timescapes at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, these are some people that we'd had conversations with um, and, like, previously that, you know, we're quite familiar with, close with, had worked with. And when we said to them that we were, you know, working on this, some people were quite happy just to have a chat with us, um, recognise, like, the, the importance of, you know, speaking 
about um, their experience. And again, particularly some are very, very present, you know, um, in more recent years. And some of the people that we spoke to, you know, had experience of being in Scotland um, from the 70s and 80s. So it was quite, um, yeah, I think it was just, we were very fortunate that people were were open to speaking to us, um, you know, and it's like we already knew of some of the work um, that had been done with the African Caribbean Women's Association. Um, and again, fortunate to have somebody who is involved and had been involved with them for quite some time to speak to us. Um, you know, we knew the work of Lothian Black Forum. And again, you know, we were very fortunate that somebody who were who was involved with the organisation at the time or, you know, the group, the forum even, um, was happy to speak to us. Um, and I think there would have been so many more people and sorry, there's also somebody that's involved with Women of um, Colour Scotland. So I think it's also just in a sense that even if the people that we spoke to weren't part of groups and organisations that um, were perhaps were more known to us, um, through the conversation it became quite clear that you know there was work that these people were doing like in their everyday, um, which is community organising. You know, it is. Um, I, I don't like to use this phrase, but activism, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think um, we were just fortunate that, it's, again, you know, it's like some of the people that we spoke to, we knew had been involved with, you know, groups and organisations. And then through conversations with others, it became quite clear that they were doing work in their own community, um, which, again, you know, perhaps isn't documented as such, um, or it's not seen to be because it's maybe not specifically black activism um you know somebody that's working like in a, in a gardening group in their local community um helping to create like growing opportunities so you know that's community organizing um wonderful um thank you for sharing that with us um and i think those are some great um a great point to remind listeners that of course the book itself has far more detail than we're going to be able to get into now so if um any of these things uh, that we've been discussing and particularly any of those examples sort of pique your interest um there's lots more to learn about and explore in the book um but before we end the interview um i would like to ask about a few of the sort of policy aspects um not really in the sense or i hope not in the sense of kind of well what are the policy recommendations from the book because Francesca you've already made the I think very accurate point that that is not um, the work that this book is doing um, but I was really interested that some of the people um, that you spoke to in this to, to come up with this book um, kind of would bring up a lot of these policy things and particular sort of terms and um, Leila Roxanne I believe you mentioned sort of promises from politicians sort of would come up um, especially for example the term new Scots um, and kind of policies related to it about multiculturalism in Scotland and kind of what does Scotland or at least the government kind of like to say is the identity of the country today in the 21st century. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe tell us a bit about kind of those discussions as they came up in the book around multiculturalism in Scotland and how being black in Scotland fits into that. So in a way, I find it quite tricky to, to think of a clear example and that's maybe part of our answer in that 
I definitely don't think that this book was ever intended to be and, and isn't a book about multiculturalism. And I know that you know people will interpret things in loads of different ways. Um, so it's always interesting to hear other people's um, points of view. And of course, we do have writing in the book on multiculturalism, so I'm not saying otherwise. But if I guess one of the things we were conscious of is that oftentimes when Black people in Scotland um, are acknowledged as part of, you know, political discourse, they're often only acknowledged alongside like the language or the idea of multiculturalism and that's sometimes in a way that either sort of upholding these um neoliberal notions of multiculturalism that involve overlooking the specifics of anti-blackness intersecting forms of oppression um such as you know sexism ableism classism um, or when these conversations to do with multiculturalism occur, it's based on this idea of, um, you know, new, Scot- new Scots and old Scots, which is something in the book we try to critically think about, well, what does it mean to even refer to some people as new Scots and, and who are the sort of implied old Scots? Um, or what does it mean to push ideas or rhetoric that is focused on um, this concept of inclusivity that puts sort of the onus of responsibility on individuals um, to essentially sort of integrate their way out of experiencing inequality and structural oppression. So the book is definitely not about multiculturalism, but we try to critically engage with how multiculturalism is and isn't discussed in relation to blackness and, and in relation to black lives in Scotland. And um, whilst also recognising, you know, work that has happened um, that's intended to be in support of the lives of black people, um, but without glorifying any of these efforts, because we're conscious that it, oftentimes um, examples of activities that are intended to you know address racism or or to address xenophobia um, are just sort of uncritically praised because of what's viewed as a good intention and that can result in in changes happening or agendas or policies being put into place that definitely don't support the people that they're allegedly intended to support um, or will involve sort of grouping a lot of different people and a lot of different experiences in a way that doesn't account for distinct differences between them. Yep, and I don't think I've got too much else to add on to that. (laughs) Fair enough, that was a very good answer. Thank you, Francesca. Um, As we come then to the end of the interview, um, I'd just love to invite both of you really is there any sort of final takeaway you'd like readers to take from the book is there anything you're currently or looking to work on next you'd like to highlight um what what would you like to leave us with Hmm, big question for monday (laughs) (laughs) um i think maybe one one of many different things that there would be a hope that people um maybe not take away, but feel when reading this is just like a sense of life um, and a sense of, like we've kept saying, the here and now-ness, but also like the beautiful um, the beautiful sense of like ongoingness and collectiveness that can be and is a part of Black Scottish history and the experiences of Black people in Scotland. Yeah, I think it's... Um... It's a, It's part of a bigger and broader story. It's more than what we've written, right? You know, it's it's maybe a helpful 
marker. Um, you know, it's something that people can, you know, turn to refer to, and we hope that you know it's it's a contribution to a much wider and broader um, like work that either is you know institutionalized, you know, by by being published, um, but you know, it's we hope that it encourages people to to recognize and see and feel that there you know there is more out there and or it's there even, um, you know, and it isn't perhaps in the ways in which we expect it to be, you know, it's like look out for self-published things, you know, it's like, again, like just encourage conversation and just be more aware like of your, of your hearness and who's here with you, I guess. Wonderful. Well, that's a lovely way to conclude um, and a brilliant segue for me to remind listeners that the title of the book is Black Oat Hair, Black Lives in Scotland, published from Bloomsbury um, in the end of 2022. Uh, Francesca and Leila Roxanne, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. Thank you for having us, Miranda.